Good morning. In today's headlines, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen criticizes Beijing on her second day in China. She brought up punitive actions taken against U.S. firms and new export controls on critical minerals. We have more on Yellen's visit. Controversial cluster bombs sent to Ukraine? They're expected to be part of a new aid package set to be announced today. Over 100 countries have banned the weapons. Find out why. The so-called cocaine gate scandal rolls on. Officials have now changed where the bag of powder was found. Florida First Lady Casey DeSantis is bringing in reinforcements for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's presidential campaign. Find out more about Mamas for DeSantis. And the cage fight continues between Twitter and threads. Musk threatens to sue Meta over its new app. We have the details. And it's seen as a major breakthrough in the fight against Alzheimer's. Learn more about a newly approved treatment for the disease. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Friday, July 7th. Happy Friday, everyone. We've made it. And we have a special segment today about our very own Miss NTD contest. Oh, that's right. I'm really looking forward to that. Mm, me too. But first, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen called for market reforms in China on her visit to Beijing today. She also criticized the Chinese regime for its recent punitive actions against U.S. companies and new export controls on some critical minerals. Yellen arrived in China yesterday. The Treasury Secretary asserted that the U.S. does not seek a wholesale separation of economies. She says the aim is to diversify, not to decouple. Yellen says it's in the best interest of both countries to make sure direct and clear lines of communication at senior levels are kept open. She's now meeting with her Chinese counterpart, Premier Li Tiang. During meetings with my counterparts, I'm communicating the concerns that I've heard from the U.S. business community, including China's use of non-market tools like expanded subsidies for its state-owned enterprises and domestic firms, as well as barriers to market access for foreign firms. I've been particularly troubled by punitive actions that have been taken against U.S. firms in recent months. Chinese state-run media says CCP leader Xi Jinping urged the military to deepen war and combat planning the day Yellen arrived. He made the comments to troops while on a military inspection tour. And President Biden's climate envoy John Kerry said yesterday he plans to travel to China next week. Kerry says it's time to restart global warming negotiations with the Chinese regime. The U.S. is expected to announce a new military aid package for Ukraine today. It's said to include a controversial weapon called cluster bombs. The smaller bombs the weapon disperses don't always explode and create risks for civilians years after a conflict. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the move. A Pentagon spokesman said Thursday the Biden administration was considering sending cluster munitions to Ukraine, but only those with a reduced failure rate. And the ones that we are considering providing would not include older variants uh, with dud rates that are higher than 2.35 percent. 
cluster munitions, or cluster bombs are canisters that hold tens to hundreds of smaller bomblets, also known as submunitions. The canisters can be dropped from aircraft, launched from missiles, or fired from artillery, naval guns, or rocket launchers. The munitions break open at a set height, depending upon the area of the target, and the bomblets spread out over that area. They are fused by a timer to explode closer to or on the ground, spreading shrapnel that is designed to kill troops or take out armored vehicles like tanks. But they don't always explode. Failure rates vary based on the terrain and can reach as high as 40%. Ukrainian officials have repeatedly asked the U.S. for the weapons, but the Biden administration has been wary of providing them over widespread concerns of civilian casualties. A top Pentagon official told lawmakers last month that cluster munitions would be useful to Ukraine, especially against dug-in Russian positions on the battlefield. Some Republicans in Congress have urged President Biden to supply them, while many Democrats oppose the move. Human Rights Watch said in a report Thursday that both Russian and Ukrainian forces have used cluster munitions that have killed Ukrainian civilians. It's calling on both Russia and Ukraine to stop using the weapons and urging the U.S. not to supply them. The International Advocacy Group says Ukraine fired cluster munition rockets into Russian-controlled areas in and around the eastern Ukrainian city of Izium last year, killing at least eight civilians and wounding 15 others. It cited interviews with over 100 residents, witnesses, and local emergency personnel. Ukraine denies having used the weapon. Over 120 countries signed an international treaty banning the weapons in 2008. Russia, Ukraine, and the U.S. have all declined to sign the treaty. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The U.S. Air Force says Russian fighter jets flew dangerously close to several of its drones over Syria yesterday. Officials say it's the second time in two days that U.S. drones have been harassed by Russian pilots. The Air Force says one of its Reaper drones was on a mission against ISIS targets when Russian fighter jets approached. One of the Russian jets began dropping flares in front of the drone. The drone was forced to take evasive maneuvers. An Air Force spokesman says the two Russian jets engaged for almost an hour. He called their interaction unprofessional. The incident comes a day after three Russian fighter jets harassed three U.S. drones over Syria. The jets dropped parachute flares in front of the drones in an encounter on Wednesday. One Russian jet also lit its afterburner in front of a drone. A blast from an afterburner has the potential to damage a drone's electronics and limit an operator's ability to safely fly the aircraft. Here's the Pentagon press secretary on the incidents. Clearly meant to harass um, and clearly unprofessional and unsafe behavior on the part of the Russians. Um, you've heard us say before that our focus in Syria is purely on the defeat ISIS mission, uh, and so that will continue to be our focus. Uh, like AFSENT, we call on the Russian forces to cease this type of reckless behavior and to behave like professional airmen. U.S. officials say Russian fighter jets have displayed aggressive maneuvers near at least six NATO aircraft in the last 48 hours. Air Force officials say it, it's the latest example of unprofessional and unsafe actions by Russian pilots in the region. And coming up, despite just updating the drug discovery location, officials say the investigation into cocaine found at the White House is expected to wrap up early next week. And free speech under fire in Michigan. Entity spoke with constitutional law attorney Aaron Maracino about a new bill that critics say silences certain views. Those stories after the break.
Good to have you back. The Biden administration is seeking an emergency order to halt a ban on social media company contacts. It asked a federal appeals court for the emergency order yesterday. It called the lower court ruling sweeping in scope, vague in terms, and likely to be overturned on appeal. A preliminary injunction in the social media censorship case was issued yet t Tuesday. It bars government agencies like the DHS, CDC, and FBI from contacting social media companies about content moderation. The administration appealed the order on Wednesday. An emergency stay would put it on hold while the appeal is considered. And officials connected to the White House cocaine inquiry are now saying the bag of powder was found in a cubby near the White House's West Executive entrance. They had previously said it was found in the formal West Wing lobby. The officials say the newly specified area is also heavily trafficked. The bag of cocaine was found near an entrance between the foyer and a lower-level lobby. That's near where vehicles like the vice president's limo or SUV park. It's one floor beneath the main West Wing offices. The Situation Room and a dining area are also on the same floor. The investigation is expected to wrap up early next week, regardless of whether a suspect is identified. As of Thursday, investigators had begun reviewing visitor logs and security footage. However, they hadn't yet received DNA or fingerprint analysis. Florida First Lady Casey DeSantis has launched the Mamas for DeSantis group. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the movement meant to mobilize moms and grandmoms to support Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in the 2024 presidential election. Casey DeSantis appeared with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds Thursday to discuss the group and her husband's candidacy. As long as I have breath in my body, I will go out and I will fight for Ron DeSantis. DeSantis told supporters why people should get behind her husband's bid for the presidency. If you want somebody to go up to Washington, D.C. to clean house, to be able to put this country back on the trajectory where we are talking about our rights coming from our creator. The Florida First Lady also published a now viral video on social media for the launch. We've been forced into silence. Into compliance. Told that we must trust the science. Indoor and outdoor venues should be closed. We've been told that we must deny truth back down and look the other way. Enough is enough. When you come after our kids, we fight back because there's nothing we won't do to protect our children. They're not yours. These are our kids. Casey DeSantis says the people have finally found their fighter. who would do for the nation what he did for Florida. Parents' rights defended. School choice universal. Critical race theory prohibited. DEI stopped. Child mutilation illegal. Girls' sports saved. Communities protected. Our economy growing. And freedom guaranteed. Former President Donald Trump is leading the GOP field in most recent polls. However, there's hope for DeSantis in Wisconsin. 
A Marquette University Law School poll released last week showed voters there chose DeSantis over Trump by 57% to 41% when asked who they would vote for in a head-to-head matchup. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Ron DeSantis's campaign reported yesterday that it raised $20 million in the second quarter of the year. Analysts say the haul signals the Florida governor's challenge to former President Donald Trump remains viable despite recent struggles. Turning now to the immigration debate, California Governor Gavin Newsom is urging an investigation into Florida. The issue is the transfer of illegal immigrants to California and Massachusetts. Newsom was joined by California Attorney General Rob Bonta and a sheriff from Texas. A letter to the Department of Justice requests a criminal and civil investigation. The letter says recruiters deceived migrants into taking flights to Sacramento and Martha's Vineyard. It says the program was funded by the state of Florida. NTD reached out to Governor DeSantis's office in early June for information on the flights to Sacramento. The office responded, saying the relocation was voluntary, and those traveling gave both verbal and written consent. Next, we're going to examine the relocation of illegal immigrants by bus from Texas to Los Angeles. On Saturday, the second bus arrived in the metropolis from Texas. It came from the border town, Brownsville. It's unclear if Texas Governor Greg Abbott sent the latest bust, but he did send the first. He said it was because California declared itself a sanctuary for immigrants. We hear from an expert on how this affects people in the U.S., both permanent residents and individuals who recently crossed the border. Please welcome Jessica Vaughn, who is the Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies. Jessica, it's really great to have you on today to discuss this important topic. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Yes, the office of Mayor Karen Bass was not formally notified about the arrival of these buses. How does that factor into the equation of these busing campaigns? Well, it's typical for local communities to receive no notice or consultation uh, with the arrival of new migrants. The federal government certainly does not notify localities when they are transporting tens of thousands of migrants who've been allowed into the country. Um, That's a big problem and it should be addressed but it's really a symptom of a bigger problem of this mass illegal migration that we've had that is affecting communities all over the country. And yes, Jessica, I wanna touch on this. What is the impact of this mass illegal migration like you mentioned on cities like Los Angeles where they have a large homelessness problem? Yes, the city of Los Angeles has about 75,000 people who are homeless and that population has grown about 10% in the last year and so, The arrival of these migrants is really complicating their efforts to deal with this and to provide services that Americans who are displaced, out of work, homeless, um, and it's affecting not only um, the, the ability of the city to provide shelter, but also it is squeezing medical services and health care and uh, job opportunities for Americans. And, and this is something that has always been an issue with unchecked illegal immigration. And of course, there are only so many resources here in these municipalities. I want to zoom in on this here, Jessica. Eleven children were on the second bus. Is it responsible to be transporting children in this manner across state lines? 
Well, the children are most likely with their parents because that is one group of migrants that the Biden administration has not attempted to slow down or stop. Anybody who arrives at the border with a child is allowed to enter and uh, children are kept with their parents. And if the parents are tra transported across state lines, that's the way it goes. If they are unaccompanied children, then they are put into the care of Health and Human Services, the federal agency that will find a sponsor for them. But, um, but much of the illegal migration that has occurred is families with kids and unaccompanied kids because a minor is basically a deportation shield under current policies. And in this second arrival, the migrants were given much more provisions. It was much less chaotic than the first time. They were given food and water and also legal assistance. What responsibility is there to ensure that people who do cross into this country are cared for properly? Well, I think we as a society have an obligation to treat everyone um, in a humane way, um, whether they have come illegally or legally through a refugee program or legal migration. But um, our society does not have an obligation to provide them with jobs necessarily because we have a legal immigration system that brings in uh, legal workers, temporary and permanent. Really, um, our, the responsibility of the federal government, according to the laws passed by Congress, is to return people who do not have a basis to stay, not to encourage them to stay here by providing them with services and giving them really what is a false hope to permanent residency here. The, the most humane thing we could do is to promptly remove those who've crossed illegally who don't have a basis to stay. And, and that would deter people from putting themselves and their families in the hands of a criminal smuggler and paying tens of thousands of dollars in smuggling fees um, you know, to get into this country and not have a basis to stay. Well, I really do appreciate your insight on this, especially considering that so many lives are at stake here. Jessica Vaughn, Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies, it was great speaking with you. Thank you very much. Turning our attention now to state politics, New Hampshire is the latest state to ban boycotts of Israel. That means the state won't enter into contracts with companies that boycott Israel. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu signed an executive order on Thursday regarding the issue. This makes New Hampshire the 37th state in the nation to enact such a regulation. The state government is prohibited from making contracts or investments with companies that boycott Israel and its trade partners. The Israeli-American Coalition for Action praised Sununu for his move, saying he's standing up against discrimination. Meanwhile, the Council on American-Islamic Relations condemned the rule, saying it violates the First Amendment. Up to five years in prison and a felony on your record for hurting someone's feelings? NTD's Daniel Monahan spoke with First Amendment law attorney Aaron Marcino about a new bill in Michigan that critics say aims to chill free speech. The Michigan House of Representatives recently passed a hate speech bill, HB 4474. The bill criminalizes causing someone to feel threatened, terrorized, or frightened by words. Sexual orientation and gender identity or expression are protected under the bill. A possible application of the law is the use of gender pronouns. Attorney Erin Mercino doesn't believe people should be arrested and prosecuted for stating their opinion. People are supposed to have, you know, 
great diverse views in our country. They're supposed to be able to share different opinions, to have a discussion, to say something without fear. She feels that the intention of the bill is to silence certain views. I think it's to chill free speech. And I, the reason I think that is because I don't think that you can punish speech um, with prison time um, without really having that effect. I think that it's necessarily, if you're criminalizing free speech and making it a felony, I don't see how that wouldn't have the effect of chilling speech. Another grave concern for Mercino is that the listener is the one who determines whether or not a certain speech is causing them severe mental anguish and worries about people getting tangled up by the vague law when they didn't even mean to offend anyone. But the end result is that someone is offended. And what this does is it takes that speech that could be deemed to be offensive and that could cause um, some sort of anxiety or mental anguish, and it makes that punishable by prison of up to five years, which is a very scary thing. Mercino says there is a disturbing new trend to view speech as violence. The attorney says the whole point of First Amendment protections is that people should meet offensive speech or hateful speech with more speech to have a discussion. West Virginia versus Barnett, one of the preeminent cases from our Supreme Court, says that no official higher petty shall decide what shall be orthodox in terms of politics, religion, um, nationalism, et cetera, et cetera. And here you have a state law that's criminalizing um, speech based on these sorts of categories, which, I mean, it, it just flies in the face of the First Amendment. The bill now moves to the Michigan State Senate for consideration. If approved there, it will be sent for approval to Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who is expected to sign it. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, the Pentagon weighed in on China's influence on Hollywood, what they're doing after the break. Welcome back. More on China here. The Pentagon just reacted to countless Hollywood movies bowing to the Chinese regime's pressure to self-censor. If production companies want help from the Pentagon from now on, they will have to disclose any censorship demands first. They will also have to state whether the project complied to those demands. What's the significance here? I spoke to Bradley Thayer. He is the director for China Policy at the Center for Security Policy. He also co-authored the book called Understanding the China Threat. Take a look. Hollywood, of course, is concerned about the Chinese market selling their product films uh, in China, but also Chinese influence has grown in Hollywood, not simply because of the market, the size of the market in China, but because of uh, China buying films, for example, legendary pictures uh, and increasing uh, Chinese investment uh, in Hollywood film studios. Uh, so it's a very complicated issue, but the bottom line is that uh, the influence of the Chinese Communist Party uh, is growing uh, year after year in Hollywood. Especially in America, how have they influenced Americans in the past, especially through these Hollywood uh, depictions of China? Well, they've influenced uh, Americans in many different ways, one of which would be in the conception of Taiwan, uh, that by erasing Taiwan, 
uh, they're uh, uh, essentially removing that from uh, the uh, American identity, from American consciousness. That's one of the attempts. By having a positive image of, of China uh, under the Communist Party of China, they're conveying to Americans and the rest of the world that purportedly the Chinese people support uh, their government of the uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party. The influence really uh, also is in the shadows, and that becomes uh, where uh, they're able to influence by films that might be made that aren't made. Films about Tibet, for example. Films about uh, the oppression uh, of the Chinese Communist Party, China's history. Films about the Korean War, for example, that would cast the party uh, in inaccurate light, that is a bad light. Uh, there are many films, many articles, films not made, articles not written, speeches not delivered uh, because of their influence uh, in uh, the shadows. So we want to keep that in mind uh, as well as they seek to control um, the narrative of how China is portrayed and also to uh, ensure that uh, alternatives and questioning uh, the governance of the Chinese Communist Party uh, is not made by the Chinese people within China or the diaspora, uh, Chinese people living outside of China, or freedom-loving people around the world. And we have so a lot of self-censorship, but we also have been seeing some backlash recently, especially talking about Top Gun, the recent Barbie movie that has been in the media and in reports, of course, the Pentagon recently. Um, are we seeing changes now in terms of the self-censorship that Hollywood does and the general, you know, the, um, the images that the regime can still hold in the West? In which direction are we headed here? Well, I, I think despite the very useful steps that you mentioned, the Pentagon conveying to, to Hollywood that they won't cooperate with filmmakers uh, if they uh, do not uh, portray uh, an accurate view of, of uh, China under the Chinese Communist Party, those are all useful steps. But I think um, uh, it's too early to say that the, the, uh, we're changing direction. I think that the, the momentum, the inertia, is still with uh, the influence of the Chinese Communist Party. Because of their determination to influence Hollywood, because of their influence in terms of actual control of Hollywood studios, uh, and because of the Chinese market, where they're able to allow access or deny access, uh, Hollywood operates on money. And the Chinese Communist Party are using money very effectively uh, to uh, influence uh, perceptions about their rule uh, in China. So all useful steps in terms of uh, the Barbie movie or in terms of Top Gun or in terms of the steps that the Pentagon are taking. But it's going to take courage in Hollywood or among American media to say that we're not going to do this. We're going to make a film about the Uyghurs. Uh, we're going to make a film about oppression of Muslims in Xinjiang, or we're going to make a film about Tibetans or other uh, issues. Uh, and, and then we would be able to see whether or not uh, the chokehold uh, that the Communist Party of China seems to have over Hollywood uh, is broken. Uh, it's too early to tell uh, in my assessment. I see. Very interesting points. Thank you so much, Bradley Thayer, for your analysis on this. I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you.
The upcoming Barbie movie was banned in Vietnam for its map of the South China Sea. Warner Brothers Studio defended itself yesterday. It says the map is a childlike drawing with no intended significance. And now getting to some short headlines from around the world. UK, for UK Foreign Secretary James Cleverly was urged by lawmakers to drop any plans to visit China after Beijing's $1 million bounty threat to UK-based pro-democracy activists. Hong Kong authorities have issued arrest warrants for eight pro-democracy activists who fled to Britain, the US, Canada and Australia. The warrants are for alleged violations of the national security law. An overnight fire in a retirement home in Milan killed six people and injured around 80, including three in critical condition. The fire was put out quickly and did not spread to the rest of the building, but it produced a vast quantity of toxic fumes. Firefighters evacuated about 80 people, including many in wheelchairs. Another 80 or so were taken to the hospital. In the Spanish city of Pamplona, thousands of thrill-seekers took part in the first running of the bulls at the San Fermin Festival. At least four runners took knocks and heart falls, but no one was gored by the beasts, a frequent feature of the spectacle. The festival was made famous by Ernest Hemingway's 1926 novel, The Sun Also Rises. This year marks the 100th anniversary of the first visit to the festival. Seafood products at a South Korean fish market are undergoing in increased radiation testing. It's an effort to calm concerns over Japan's planned release of treated radioactive water from the wrecked Fukushima plant. Before he sells the scallop to customers, Pak Song is testing it for radiation. As Japan plans to release treated radioactive water from its wrecked Fukushima plant, the food market manager in Seoul, South Korea, says his customers are concerned. He says they've tested their products three times a week since 2014, but are now ramping that up to five. More than a million tons of water that was used to cool Japan's nuclear reactors following the March 2011 tsunami will be released. The plan was approved by the International Atomic Energy Agency this week despite political controversy and resistance from other nations. Japan's government maintains the process is safe as it has treated the water. Some stall owners say sales are usually slower in the summer, but customers are more anxious, making it more difficult. This customer says she came to the market to buy sashimi for her husband. She says she might worry once the water is released. But for now, she's buying the fish. Still to come, the fight between Twitter and threads continues as Musk threatens to sue Meta for its new app. And it's seen as a major breakthrough in the fight against Alzheimer's. Learn more about a newly approved treatment for the disease. Also, shark attacks and shark sightings recently making big headlines. What should you do if a shark approaches you? Find out more after the break. It's good to have you back. A battle between two influential tech companies. Twitter is threatening to sue Meta over its new app threads. Meta launched the platform as a rival to Twitter. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has the story. Threads is an app built by the Instagram team for sharing with text. It allows users to sign in using Instagram accounts. 
Meta launched Threads on Wednesday and already has more than 30 million signups and ranks number one in social network apps in the Apple Store. It's similar to Twitter, but I like the fact that it's not Twitter, like how it's run by Instagram. I think it's just like a smart move on their part. Some people think it might be a Twitter killer, while others are still skeptical. I think it's pretty common that this happens, um, but I'm interested to see if people are actually going to engage with it. But it seems like people already are because there's like a desire to like kind of step away from Twitter. And Instagram's already a very like credited app and everyone's on it, so might as well just like also use it as the same way you would use Twitter. The app does not let you delete your account without deleting your Instagram account and has yet to add direct messaging. I don't think I would download threads because I'm just not... I just like Twitter better. And I also feel like people have this thing with like, you're a different personality on Twitter than you are on Instagram. And sharing that kind of Twitter personality on Instagram is sometimes not like, I don't know. People don't want to do it and I don't want to do that. In a letter sent to Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg on Wednesday, Twitter's lawyer Alex Spiro threatened to sue Meta over its new platform. In the letter, Twitter accused Meta of hiring former Twitter employees who have access to Twitter's trade secrets and other highly confidential information. It went on to say, Twitter intends to strictly enforce its intellectual property rights and demands that Meta take immediate steps to stop using any Twitter trade secrets or other highly confidential information. Musk tweeted out, competition is fine, cheating is not. Meta's spokesperson Andy Stone responded. He said in a Threads post, no one on the Threads engineering team is a former Twitter employee. That's just not a thing. The newest challenge to Twitter follows a decision by Musk to limit the number of tweets users can read per day. It's not the first time Zuckerberg has been accused of copying an app. Instagram's stories appear to mimic Snapchat and its reels bear a striking resemblance to TikTok. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The app is now only available in the US and UK. Hmm. I have to say I'm a little bit curious, although I haven't I haven't downloaded it yet, just just to have a comparison. Yeah, I'm gonna download it, see what it's all oh, about. Yeah? See if there are any nuances there, little changes. Nice, yeah, report back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're going on to a different story here. The company operating the submersible that imploded last month, killing five people, has suspended all exploration and commercial operations. OceanGate, a U.S.-based company, did not elaborate on matters beyond a red banner at the top of its website. The company lost contact with its Titan submarine on June 18th during a dive to the wreck of the Titanic, prompting a massive undersea search for the vessel. The U.S. Coast Guard last week recovered presumed human remains and debris from the sub on the ocean floor. Examination of the debris is expected to shed more light on how the implosion happened. U.S. and Canadian authorities are investigating the cause of the disaster, which raised questions about the unregulated nature of such expeditions. And now some quick headlines, but we're keeping it in the States this time. The cargo ship that caught fire in a New Jersey port on Wednesday night is still burning. Two Newark firefighters were killed battling the blaze that began when cars caught fire deep inside a cargo ship. The ship is carrying thousands of cars, and their exploding gas tanks are creating major problems for firefighters. At least 18 people were hospitalized after two buses collided in Manhattan. A double-decker tour bus collided with a New York City commuter bus around 7 p.m. yesterday. The New York City Fire Department said the injuries were not life-threatening. The federal government is cracking down on six companies that sell edibles resembling popular snack foods. They contain a substance that could pose a health and safety risk, especially among kids. 
The copycats have a psychoactive cannabinoid and look like Doritos, Jolly Ranchers, or other products. For the first time ever, the FDA has granted full approval to a drug proven to slow the progression of Alzheimer's disease. The move is seen as a major breakthrough in the fight against the devastating condition that affects millions and is marked by memory loss, cognitive decline, and behavioral changes. Here's the latest on the significant medical development. It's official. The first drug shown in trials to slow the progression of Alzheimer's now has full FDA approval, and infusion centers are gearing up for an anticipated surge in new patients. In certain areas, I anticipate we will receive probably at least 15 to 20 percent more um, patient referrals for this drug. The drug, called Lakembi, is administered through IV infusion once every two weeks. Thursday's full traditional FDA approval means the drug is now available for coverage by Medicare. Lakembi has been available under accelerated FDA approval since January, but at a cost of more than $26,000 a year before insurance, many patients couldn't access or afford it. You had this treatment at your fingertips, and suddenly you had Medicare saying, yeah, but you can't quite get access to that at this point in time. A large trial funded by the drug's makers found Lakembi slowed the progression of the disease by about 27%. Lakembi targets a specific protein that forms plaques in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. The drug does carry some risks. About 13% of patients receiving the drug in its trial had brain swelling, and 17% had brain bleeding, compared with 9% in the placebo group. And while experts agree the drug is a major turning point, they also warn Lakembi is not a cure and was only tried in people with early Alzheimer's disease. People who are moderate or severe, have, we would not know whether this drug was efficacious, and we would not even know whether it was safe. Shark attacks have been popping up a lot in recent headlines. 41 incidents this year, seven of them resulting in death. That's according to website trackingsharks.com. The chances of being attacked by a shark are very low, but what should you do if you're in the unfortunate 0.00003%? NTD's Colin Fredrickson talks with a famous shark scientist. Most people going to the beach probably aren't planning on reenacting Jaws, the iconic 1975 film, but a small number of them have. Just this year, there have been 34 unprovoked shark attacks, 23 of them in the United States. So what should you do to protect yourself if you see a shark? What I would do is make sure I'm facing it as I start retreating towards the water and, and do it as calmly as possible. And that is because if it does start to come in closer, you want to have uh, eye contact with it and, and know where it is. And if it's getting closer and closer, you want to kind of make sure that that animal knows that you know it's there. Giannis Papastamatio is one of the foremost experts in shark science, according to Science Journal. He says that when a shark knows that a person is aware of its presence, it's less likely to attack that person. This is because animals avoid living things that are the same size as they are. But if the shark is in battle mode, Papastamatio says you must fight back. Well, there certainly are areas of the animal that may be more vulnerable, such as the eyes. Uh, it's easier said than done to be actually trying to target that in your response when, when you're fighting back. Um, certainly, if you have anything like a piece of equipment, anything that is not your body part, that's always a much better option. After hitting the shark in a sensitive place, such as the eyes, gills, or nose, the shark may flee. Papastamatio says that shark attacks are very, very rare. But when they do happen, they're very dramatic and often make headlines. 
The chances of being attacked are 1 in 3.75 million. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Okay, so fight the shark. That's some advice right there. Well, a story to tell your grandkids. But I, that was interesting because I did hear about touching, but he said uh, punching, um, oh. touching the shark's nose, and then it will just kind of swim away. Wow. That's what I heard. Or, I don't or know. you could just willing to swim faster. Get out, out of there. Swim a shark, sure. <laughs> I don't think I can do that, but, you know. All right, heading into break now. NTD ha now has its own beauty pageant. The first annual Miss NTD will be held at Purchase College in New York State this fall. Yes, the beauty pageant celebrates inner beauty and traditional values. We spoke with the key sponsor of the event, so stay tuned for more on that one in just a minute when we come back. Tonight on America's Hope, one mother turns the tragedy of losing her son into triumph and healing, creating mothers against violence. And a panel discussion tonight about crime and policing in America with actress Patricia McKenzie, police veteran Bobby Kipper, and psychologist Dr. Scott Geller, who are actively caring for people to help keep hope alive in these troubling times. That's next on America's Hope. On the new episode of International Reporters Roundtable, Earth's waterways disputed territories. Where are the greatest pressure points and who's claiming control? How essential are they today in the space age to the movements and survival of nations? Guests Michael Yan, Grant Newsham, and Sargas Sangari join us to discuss the importance of waterways, how they factor into the current geopolitical equation, and what they reveal. Tune in with NTD host Cindy Juke here and our guest panel, giving us a clearer picture of these global events, Saturday at 1 p.m. or Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back. It's 10 minutes until 8, but you're still in for a treat today because we have a special segment to lead into the weekend. NTD now has its own beauty pageant. The first annual Miss NTD will be held at Purchase College in New York State this fall. The pageant celebrates inner beauty and traditional values. A key sponsor of the event is a historic automaker, Packard Motors, which was revived in 2019. We spoke with Packard owner Scott Andrews to find out why he wanted his luxury car brand to share seats with Miss NTD. Packard Motors is the historic luxury car company once known as the American Rolls-Royce. Its cars were proudly owned by the likes of Winston Churchill, Howard Hughes, and Babe Ruth. Founded in 1899, it was America's first luxury automaker, setting the standard for luxury American vehicles in the 20th century. The last Packard rolled off the assembly line in 1956, but the company was revived by watchmaker and inventor Scott Andrews in 2019. Here's why. Packard called me, mm. and I could tell it was wanting to come back to life mm. and be back in the forefront. And it's almost like it's almost like a siren calling you, saying, "Hey, bring me back and let me let me show the world how this is done." Andrews says he's inspired by the founders of Packard Motors who had no problem setting everything aside to stand for American values, truth, tradition, 
in those kinds of things. In other words, at the end of the day, they wanted a good civil society. That's similar to what the founders of Miss NTD want. The purpose of the pageant is to bring back to society pure authenticity, pure goodness, and pure beauty. The alignment couldn't be any more synergistic. Specifically, it's the values. Packard's known as the luxurious gentleman or lady. Miss NTD is looking for the woman of Chinese descent who most exemplifies the traditional Chinese virtues of morality, righteousness, propriety, benevolence, and faithfulness. She'll be awarded the Miss NTD Sapphire Tiara for one year, a $10,000 cash prize, and a variety of other gifts, perks, and opportunities. The owner of Packard Motors has this to say to the young ladies participating in the pageant. Number one, follow God. Starts with there. And number two, very important you focus on your inner beauty first. He thinks the pageant will have a global presence in the future and sees the pageant as the spark of a fire. It takes a spark to get it going. And they're being very brave to be that spark. And I believe this is going to be fireworks, not just a spark. And if exciting. you enjoyed what you saw, oh yeah, and you were saying? No, just that it's exciting. Please continue. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if you enjoyed that interview, you can find the full version online at ntd.com. And Broadway performers took to the sunny outdoors yesterday to entertain the people of New York City. And today's Sean Marshall was there. Let's take a look. The most popular shows on and off Broadway performed their biggest hits in Bryant Park, New York City on Thursday. Hundreds of fans enjoyed favorite Broadway tunes for lunchtime on the lawn and off the lawn on a warm summer day. Helen Little, a media personality and influencer for iHeartRadio, Light FM in New York City, spoke with me about the event. So Broadway in Bryant Park is our signature event at 106.7 Light FM. We do it every summer. This year we're out here every Thursday at lunchtime with some of the best of Broadway. Today's shows include Some Like It Hot and Wicked, Book of Mormon and others. The Taiwan Tourism Board was a sponsor for the event. Their choir performed traditional Taiwanese songs. You know, it's something that New Yorkers look forward to every summer. It's like a hallmark event for Bryant Park. The lawn fills up, people bring lunch sometimes, and this is something that we've looked forward to for years and years here in the city. The event was a chance for people unfamiliar with Broadway shows to see what they're all about. A free treat for the citizens and tourists in Manhattan. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Oh, I can't believe I missed it. I actually really wanted to go, but then it slipped my mind. Oh, yeah. What beats a free show, right? And I love those traditional Taiwanese costumes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just a Broadway fan as a musical fan as well, so ah, all of it was just like, oh. The more you know. All right. Anyway, <laughs> that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. Shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching and have a great weekend. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.